This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the governor's use of data and science and the governor testifying to a U.S. House committee. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Experts Governor J.B. Pritzker's relying on to help him manage COVID-19 in the state sent the governor's staff emails in March saying COVID-19 testing in prisons should be an area of focus, but the state's prisons say they've only done a fraction of tests compared to the number of inmates and staff. The governor has said his management of COVID-19 pandemics based on science and data. March 21st, an expert sent the Pritzker administration an email the Center Square obtained that said testing in prisons should be a focus. When asked May 11th about testing in prisons, the governor said testing was underway. Well, IDOC is performing tests on uh, on uh, staff on a regular basis and anybody that's got any symptoms Jennifer Volen-Katz, the executive director of the prison watchdog group, the John Howard Association, said recent survey results of prison employees and inmates showed widespread COVID-19 testing isn't happening. And the people who are incarcerated were very clear that testing is very limited. And the staff who responded to our surveys, you know, said the same thing. The Illinois Department of Corrections said it's tested more than 1,000 staff and inmates, but there are more than 10,000 employees and around 40,000 inmates. The experts also told Pritzker's office back in March that they should test every person it discharges from places with vulnerable populations. Katz said that's a tall order for IDOC, but necessary and widespread testing isn't happening. We need to know, you know, what the spread of disease looks like inside the facilities to better manage it. And again, it's about the safety of the person leaving and the community they're returning to. New data released by the small business shows taxpayers gave more than 200,000 Illinois businesses a total of more than $22 billion in COVID-19 relief funds. More than 27,400 businesses got at least $150,000 each. The loans turned to grants if most of it was used to retain employees. The SBA documents suggest more than 2.1 million jobs were retained in Illinois. But OpenTheBooks.com founder Adam Angievsky said taxpayers were stuck with the bill. It means a big debt that we're going to be paying off for generations. So our children and children's children are going to be paying off this quote-unquote coronavirus bailout 
to many businesses who actually didn't need the money, but saw an opportunity to stick their hand in the honeypot. And the folks that get stuck at the end of the day is the American taxpayer. Illinois Chamber of Commerce CEO Todd Mice said every business should be able to justify accessing such funds. Anytime government tries to send trillions of dollars out the door in a very, very short period of time, you're going to have decisions that are going to be questioned and uh, probably should be questioned. Among the Illinois companies that got between $5 million and $10 million were considered essential, like construction companies. Others got approved were car dealers. Angievsky said it made sense for some businesses to get some help during the pandemic. Restaurants probably have the most compelling argument to accept the money because they were literally shut down by edict and they had payrolls to make. But he said it's morally wrong for businesses like luxury car dealers to take taxpayer funds they didn't need. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker pushed Wednesday for a national face covering requirement. The governor took part in the U.S. House committee hearing about the response to COVID-19 Wednesday. He laid out several things he says the federal government could do moving forward. One thing was requiring face coverings nationwide. We instituted ours in Illinois on May 1st, one of the first in the nation, and it aligns with our most significant downward shifts in our infection rate. Members of the committee asked Pritzker about Illinois' policy of COVID-19 and nursing home transfers. He said that there was never a state policy to transfer infected patients back to nursing homes, but there were policies requiring a separation of patients with and without the disease inside nursing homes. And many of them did. I will say some of them didn't do it right. Uh, and, you know, we're holding them accountable. The Illinois Department of Public Health didn't immediately respond to questions regarding how many facilities weren't doing it right or what kind of consequences there would be. Governor also criticized the president's handling of the pandemic. He said states were in bidding wars against each other for personal protective equipment. In the midst of a global pandemic, states were forced to play some sort of sick Hunger Games game show to save the lives of our people. Louisiana U.S. Representative Clay Higgins had the governor elaborate on how even Illinois officials continue to learn lessons in handling the pandemic. Uh, there's an awful lot of learning that's taken place from March that's until right. now. And um, yes, so, I believe that we've created a path for uh, someone in the future to follow. Thank you. And, uh, and may I respectfully state that that's exactly what our president has done in response to this incredible challenge that we've never faced before as a nation. Pritzker also urged for a federal bailout, something Naperville U.S. Representative Lauren Underwood supported. That's Congressional Democrats' $3 trillion bill. The HEROES Act that would provide nearly 500, or oh, not nearly, $500 billion in relief funds to state governments, including almost $18 billion for the state of Illinois. That bill remains in the Republican-controlled U.S. Senate. Taxpayers United of America's Jim Tobin said Illinois needs bankruptcy, not a bailout allow Illinois to go bankrupt, then the bankruptcy courts can cut the wasteful spending because the politicians in Springfield have nothing planned but more income and property tax hikes. Illinois' credit is on a negative outlook just above junk status. The state's $42 billion spending plan relies on $5 billion of federal aid. Pritzker said if the feds can give billions to businesses through the PPP loans, billions for state and local governments is a small price to pay to keep services going, he said. Tobin called the Paycheck Protection Program a boondoggle and, again, said Illinois doesn't need a bailout. Congress should allow Illinois to go bankrupt. Um, in the meantime, Mr. Pritzker and his friends in Springfield can pass legislation allowing local governments in Illinois to go bankrupt. They can do that next week. Another issue Tobin said is being neglected is pensions. He said a constitutional amendment's needed 
The pension system to retire state employees takes about a quarter of every dollar the state takes in. And the fight's on over whether Illinois voters should approve a change to the state's flat income tax to a tax with higher rates on higher earners. Governor J.B. Pritzker this week gave supporters constitutional amendment $51.5 million in the Illinois Chamber of Commerce, joined with other groups virtually to oppose that amendment. National Federation of Independent Business Illinois' Cindy Neal said supporters of the progressive income tax, quote, don't get it. They don't understand that if this tax is passed in November, it will place irreparable harm on our employers and many businesses that haven't already shut down, perhaps will have to shut down due to this outrageous progressive income tax. While the Pritzker-backed group argues the progressive tax is a fair tax by taxing lower incomes, lower rates, Technology and Manufacturing Association's Steve Rauschenberger disagreed. This is all about bait and switch. They're going to call it a fair tax, but what it is is the elimination of the constitutional protection of a single rate. Rauschenberger said if the amendments approved, it would hurt available jobs and hurt wages. To absorb the tax increases, small businesses who are the backbone of employers in the state of Illinois would have to reduce workforce, freeze salaries, reduce benefits, cut hours, and increase the cost of goods sold. The group Vote Yes for Fairness, which supports a progressive tax, said opponents are protecting the millionaires and billionaires, but other groups joined in opposition Tuesday include the Illinois Farm Bureau. President Richard Giebert said farmers have taken hit after hit in the past few years, and a progressive income tax will hurt their operations. Farmers and those of us in rural communities are doing our best during these difficult times. Now is not the time for this tax. Voters get the final say on the statewide ballot this November. Youth unemployment, a big issue as the Illinois Department of Employment Security reports just under 39,000 new unemployment claims were filed during the week of June 29th in Illinois. Kevin Bessler files this report. That is a 327% increase over the same time last year. One segment of the unemployed population that has been especially hard hit in Illinois are persons aged 16 to 19 years old. Orfe Divungi, the chief economist for the Illinois Policy Institute, says Illinois has the worst youth employment rate in the Midwest. All of our research shows that we've had one of the harshest lockdowns in the country, especially when it comes to food and accommodations businesses. Divungi says raising the minimum wage will only make things worse. It's really not the time to uh, push for minimum wage hikes that are likely to keep teens, but also low-income adults out of the labor force and and on the sidelines. According to the Illinois Policy Institute, Illinois experienced a 40.4% drop in teen employment since 2019. I'm Kevin Bessler. And while the president insists the kids get back to school as early as next month, Illinois' governor says he's relying on data and science. Earlier this week, President Trump said schools need to reopen this fall. Governor J.B. Pritzker Wednesday told the U.S. House Committee, Illinois is looking at the science and data. That's why I was so frustrated to see the president just sort of pronounce that, well, everybody should open their schools. Well, great. Please, please provide us with the kind of guidance that will help us do that. The CDC sent out guidance earlier this week and said those will be supplemented further, but White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany said those aren't dictates. Many of these things that they're recommending are not feasible, which is why they use the words not possible 18 times and not feasible nine times. We want our schools to reopen. It's imperative uh, for the health and well-being of the child. McEnany said major health issues like child abuse can go unnoticed when students aren't in front of teachers. She also said the White House is looking to change education funding to tie funding to children, not to a school district that remains closed. 
Those are the top stories from the past week. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up from Illinois Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Crude and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Illinois and Focus's Crosstalk segment, the commentary portion of our program. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square in Illinois, joined by my good friend and colleague, executive editor, Dan McCaleb. Dan, what's up, man? Hey, man, trying to keep cool in all this heat. How you doing? Good. I, I, I'm, I'm like feeling the coming you know, anticipation of baseball. So I've sort of, I announced you kind of like you were coming up to the plate. I'll to, I'm going to work on that. But, but that's, that's, that's my starting point. Well, we're, I, at this point, I don't know if we're going to have baseball or not. Just things just keep getting weird. Well, I'm with you on that. And, um, you know, I, I'll tell you, you know, the last four months and in, in as you, as you speak to, to people, not only sort of in your circle as we're, spending i think probably a lot of time uh on the phone and on video chats one of those stories i think that um you know that sort of is being discussed in every state in a different way is what did my governor do did my governor do a good job and if i feel as if he or she did a good job why and you know i'm having these conversations and um you know, I get mixed reviews from, from different states, you know, where I, where I have, you know, my people spread out around the country. And I think people have sort of lost track of just what was decided when um, did we follow through on the plans that we made uh, as a state? You know, with, if a governor says we're going to do X, did we do X? Uh, the Center Square had a story this week I thought was really interesting, uh, created from Freedom of Information Act requests regarding the way that we tested prisoners in the state. I mean, at one point, because of that being a a pretty intensive congregate care setting, Governor Prisker said we're going to test every prisoner in the state of Illinois. That didn't didn't pan out that way. The two things that have been consistent throughout the COVID-19 COVID-19 pandemic, like you said, a lot of things have changed, uh, restrictions have changed, et cetera. Two things that have been consistent are the governor saying that he's going to rely on uh, the science to make his decisions, right? And two, we know that congregate settings such as nursing homes and such as prisons, uh, that's where people are most vulnerable because you, you can't necessarily um, uh, social distance. You have lot, large groups of people living in um, limited space. Um, so uh, the Center Square, uh, Illinois, we filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the governor's office. And after m- much stonewalling, it took us about five or six different requests before we could get the uh, governor's office to actually send us information. We asked for wh- what's the communication been between the governor's office and these these uh, uh, health experts that he's been relying and 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 data experts that he's been relying on um, to drive his policies. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things we found uh, uh, in the release of those documents is very early on, uh, these these health experts uh, told the governor, "You need to test 
um, all inmates um, and in prison staff uh, in the in the states uh, the states jails. Uh, in there was a March twenty third email that we had from one of those experts to to Governor Pritzker that said they should be conduct, conducting six hundred and thirty tests a day uh, in the state's prisons, at least 630 tests a day. Mm. Well, then uh, we found out, um, we compared that to, the, to what actually happened. And, and that, keep in mind, that email was March 23rd. In May, um, we found out that the um, DOC had actually tested uh, only 1,000 people, 1,000 of 40,000 inmates and 10,000 employees. Um, so the governor clearly did not follow uh, the science did not follow the data in this case. To date, we've had, uh, th- or not to date, I should say through June 9th, because we're not getting updated numbers. Through June 9th, we've had 13 inmate deaths, uh, more than 200 staff, inmate, uh, pr- state prison uh, uh, staff test positive, um, and more than 330 in- inmates um, test positive. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be testing, uh, his experts anyway, were supposed to be testing um, more than 600 people a day. That advisory came March 23rd. And as of June, as of late May, excuse me, only a thousand staffers had been, only a thousand inmates and staffers had been tested in state prisons. So when you put together the entire, the entirety of the state prison system and the staffs, something like 89% of those who should have been tested were not tested yes a, an outside group uh, did a survey of um, both inmates and staff and that and as of may um, almost 90 percent said they had not been tested it's absolutely bananas almost two months so, after yeah almost two months after uh, uh, one of uh, go- the governor's uh, experts said they should be con- con- conduct conducting these tests on everybody Mm-hmm. So, you know, staying with the sort of things in the governor's office, you know, he came out this week and said that the, the federal government should adopt a nationwide face covering requirement as part of their COVID-19 plan. People in Illinois are not wearing masks. I mean, not not all of them, not everywhere. Not everywhere. No. Um, and, and, and not, you know, I mean, not, not within the guidelines. Uh, stores are not, stores are, are not enforcing it. Um, and I've had a chance to talk to a couple of people that simply just work at counters and have asked them this question. I'm like, you know, what's the, what's the, and I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get these people in trouble. I don't want to get, I'm, I'm not whistleblowing on these companies. But it sounds as if they are telling their staff, who are working directly with these people who are coming in and not wearing any masks. They're not telling them to leave. They're, they're, they're not telling them to put on a mask or go buy a mask. Yeah. I, I'm sure you've seen plenty of um, plenty of videos that have gone vi- viral where in when employee does try and t- to enforce it, um, it, it escalates into a, a huge verbal um, confrontation. So I'm sure, I'm sure, Employers, uh, business owners, business business operators are, are are wary of those kinds of confrontations. Um, as we've talked about on here before, you, you, the, the governor testified before congressional committee this week virtually, um, and he called for a federal uh, mask mandate. Um, I think personally, you should wear a mask when you're going into a store or whatever. But the federal government, the state government, sh- should not 
have the a power to mandate um, what an individual um, wears. And there's plenty of people who feel strongly about that. Again, I support wearing masks in, when you're in public during the uh, the pandemic, but it's not government's job um, to to absolutely mandate what an individual can and cannot wear um, mm -hmm. uh, when they're going about their business. I'm wearing one and just simply out of respect. I mean, I'm not sure it's doing anything. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. We, we just don't, really, yeah. we don't, we don't really know yet. Um, but in that, you know, in that statement that he made, um, he said, and this is a quote in the midst of the global pandemic, States were forced to play some sick Hunger Games game show to save the lives of people. This is not a reality TV show. These are things that are happening, end quote. We haven't really talked about this, but I'm going to I'm going to ask you just for your take. Is J.B. Pritzker priming himself for something bigger? Is 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 this, you know, sort of this moment? Is he seizing this to perhaps run? Not necessarily in this election. I don't think that that's going to happen, obviously. But in 2024, is he priming himself to run for president? Yeah, that's a good question. There have been a number of Democratic governors who, during this crisis, have grandstanded, have um, held daily um, press briefings, um, have been critical of uh, President Trump and the federal response. And I guess that's within their rights. But you, you take uh, uh, New York Governor Cuomo, uh, California Governor Newsom, Michigan Governor, Michigan Governor Whitmer. It's almost like they are they, they are daring or, or, or looking for to pick a fight with Trump so they can make uh, national headlines, so they can get on uh, CNN um, uh, and whatnot. So it, the it would Sunday not Sunday morning shows. It seems like Right. It, se it seems like the, there's just been a, a steady flow of, of, of governors, particularly Democrat governors from around the country, are just making their way through the Sunday morning network TV talk shows. Right. And here's what's, what's so contradictory about Governor Pritzker. On the one hand, he wants a federal mask uh, uh, mandate, a national um, mandate from the president that all people must wear masks in public. President Trump also this week says he wants all schools um, uh, to reopen in the fall. Right. When it comes to that, Pritchard's like, uh, no, no, we're going to make, we're going to decide our, on our own if if we're going back to school in the fall. And we're going to decide locally. That's a local school district's um, mm -hmm. um, decision. And, and personally, I, I agree with that. I think local school districts should be making the decisions on what's best um, for their staff and their students based on what's going on in their regions. I completely mm -hmm. agree with the local regional approach to this, but mm -hmm. Pritzker wants it both ways. You know, he wants a, he wants a, a national mask mandate, but he wants to, he wants locals himself and local school districts to decide if they're going to go back to school and how they're going to go back to school. Mm -hmm. So it, it, he's been contradictory throughout this entire uh, pandemic. You just go back to the jails that we we're just talking about. Right. He, he, the one thing he said consistently, day in and day out, he's relying on the, design, the science uh, to make his decisions. Yes. The science told him test all the inmates and test all jail staff. He mm -hmm. hasn't done that. From a standpoint of like, I mean, just like putting a timeline together. At the time that he said that, testing wasn't as widely available as it is now. But testing is available now. Oh, we're testing we're, 50,000 I mean, people, more than 50,000 people a day in Illinois. Right. So I don't know how you don't go back 
you know, if you said you're going to do something and it was really just a matter of priority and the priorities change, and if that's going to be the defense of this, you know, I mean, he hasn't spoken specifically to the questions that we've asked, you know, regarding the decisions around, you know, sort of the, you know, how he was dealing with prisons at the time. We've got no reply from the office on that at all. Right. Um, which is not, you know, not uncommon. I mean, it, it's the, there is a, a profound lack of transparency and, and something that you had mentioned to me earlier this week uh, that you, that you didn't touch on, you know, you did talk about how many times it took to get that freedom of information act request responded to appropriately, but you got pages and pages and pages of redacted information right. that were, that, that would have given the public an idea of how the decisions were being made in, you know, in the, in the, in the actual timeframes in which those, those, you know, the, those, those decisions uh, could have been made. Right. So it's, it's a real blind spot for, for taxpayers and for the citizens of Illinois. I mean, we're, we're having to really to rely on, you know, um, just his point of view, which right. is, it's not good enough. I mean, my perspective, that's just simply not good enough. Yeah, so it was, it's been at least six weeks. This might even been longer than that when we first filed, when we filed our first Freedom of Information Act request asking for the government, the governor's communications with the, the health experts he says he's relying on. And time and time again, the governor's office came back and said it's overly burdensome, it's overly burdensome. So we keep, we kept narrowing down um, our, our requests, including just in, including the dates for which we were asking for that information. So mm -hmm. we have since filed more Freedom of Information Re Act requests for different periods of time, uh, the communication between the governor's office and um, the health experts he's relying on, and we're expecting to get to get more back. So we're not done analyzing this. Um, we the, the, the first the, the first um, uh, pieces of information that we got, the first documents that we got were heavily redacted. So there's obviously something something going on there where he's not interested in, in sharing um, these communications with us. Uh, we, we do plan to challenge uh, some of those redactions um, with the attorney general's office. So this is definitely going to be an ongoing story. We really do. I mean, and you know, every state's different. I mean, uh, you know, for the benefit of people that are listening to us, I mean, you and I have been in journalism a long time and we've worked in We've worked in different states. I mean, you know, I've worked in Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Colorado. You've worked in Pennsylvania, Indiana, Louisiana, and Illinois. All right? Did Correct. I miss any? Nope, that's it. Right, right. So every state has its own Freedom of Information Act. They're called different things, but they're basically the public access rules. And Illinois is Illinois is one of the weakest. Oh, there's yeah. In the country. I mean, it's it is it it is honest to goodness. It's like trying to push an elephant through a keyhole. They it, they make it extremely extremely difficult just to see how the business of the state is being done. And this is, I mean, it's the public's right to know how are these decisions being made. There's there's really no repercussions for uh, elected officials or um, uh, government officials. Um, if they violate the Freedom of Information Act, no matter how often they violate the Freedom of Information Act, the only the, the only accountability is for uh, media outlets or whoever to shame them uh, publicly uh, into into being more transparent. 
um, Pritzker's uh, uh, office has not been transparent at all. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the other thing that Governor J.B. Pritzker is talking about on a national level, and that is, I want some money. Um, the state local revenue losses that are a consequence of shutting down the economy um, are significant. I mean, you know, I mean, if, I don't have to tell people, and forgive me for stating the obvious. I mean, if you haven't heard about it within your local community, uh, your, you know, your your city, your county, uh, yet you, you soon will because when we all stayed home for four months and many of us didn't work, and what was the total number of Illinoisans who who were on unemployment when it was at its peak? More than uh, 1.4 million Illinoisans have filed uh, unemployment claims throughout the pandemic. I mean, there's only 12.7 million people in the state, and I think that from a workforce standpoint, didn't that equate to about 21% of all people who were employed were, were, yeah, were, was, out of, were out of work or filed for unemployment? It was a little more than 20%, 21% might be right. Another 39,000 Illinoisans, you know, even as uh, areas are, are opening up, another 39,000 uh, residents filed for unemployment uh, claims last week, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, 10 times what uh, the number of weekly claims were pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. Governor Pritzker is asking the Trump administration for billions of dollars uh, from the federal treasury to cover the local losses in tax revenue. What's the scoop on that? Yeah, so it's not the first time he did it during this um, uh, during this uh, hearing that uh, the congressional hearing that uh, that Governor Pritzker participated in this week. He again asked for a federal bailout of state and local governments um, in Illinois, um, essentially saying that the the state state and local governments because of uh, huge drops in revenue because of the governor's uh, executive orders. Um, weren't going to be able to uh, pay for all the services um, uh, that that we need, that the Illinois residents need. Of course, during the same uh, period of time, the governor gave the, the governor let uh, public and state employees um, get significant raises. He didn't furlough any staff like many other states did. He didn't lay anybody off, even though um, many government workers weren't working because offices were shut down the the uh, secretary secretary of state's vehicle offices were licensed offices were, were shut down um, um but they still continued to get paid they they got raises now he wants federal taxpayers um, um to bail out illinois which essentially means fu future taxpayers because the, the federal government doesn't have that money that they'd, they'd have to borrow that money um we already have a uh, i haven't looked this week but i our, our uh uh, national um, debt is is more than twenty six trillion trillion dollars. Um, so the federal government, anything the, the federal government gives to the states, um, is going to be borrowed money that future taxpayers um, are going to have to pay back. Mm. Well, and you know, and it was amidst all this, and I mean, and it's hard to follow all all of the news. I mean, as a news consumer, I feel for people right now because COVID, you know, has certainly taken the front of everybody's, you know, conscience knocked out of the way, you know, briefly uh, during the uh, George Floyd 
protests and and the subsequent uh, riots that that you know that occurred around the, the the country, and now COVID seems to be kind of maybe sort of eking its way back as you know states that had lower numbers uh, are seeing some higher numbers. Uh, fatality counts seem across the country to be you know sort of at the point where they were or dropping, but the number dropping, of, yes. the, yeah the number of positive tests are, are, are going up. Um, I have to just say this just real quick. I read a story from the Associated Press that was published on July 1st that specifically took on the notion that the protests and that the street activity, you know, some of it was peaceful, a lot of it was not, had nothing to do with COVID spikes around the country. I found that to be obscene and just nonsensical for for whatever reason i don't know why it's become a a, a political issue but the the according to mainstream media the protests were fine there was no um spikes in coronavirus coronavirus cases because of these massive protests were thousands in, in some cases thousands um in other cases hundreds of people congregated nearby um, no social distancing um, practiced that didn't cause a spike in cases but opening up small businesses is what's ca causing the the, the spikes in, in positive cases that makes absolutely no sense i don't get it i don't i don't get it so you know um the state treasurer there's another piece of, another story that's sort of been kind of been buried in, in you know in in everything else that's going on um our state treasurer uh Frerichs, let slip in a in a conversation he was having or a stand-up that he was having in the suburbs that everything is on the table with regard to, to potential taxation among them retirement income yeah and so the, yeah so i mean take yeah just take us through that because th this is new information for for people in illinois we're one of a handful of states in the country there's about i think there are 18 or 20 states in the country that don't tax retirement um because you know frankly you you really get the daylights taxed out of you before retirement if you live here and that was one of the few benefits that we had in Illinois was that if you stuck it out and you paid your freight for, you know, 30, 40 years and retired, then you didn't have to pay uh, any state income tax on retirement earnings. Um, but that seems to be slipping down this very slippery slope that we're in right now. Despite the pandemic shutting down small businesses and, and the 1.4 million unemployment claims that have been filed to date, um, in Illinois, Governor Pritzker still insists uh, that the state needs what's called a progressive income tax. Right now, um, individuals are taxed at a flat rate. Whether you make, you know, twenty thousand dollars a year, a hundred thousand dollars a year, five hundred thousand dollars a year, a million dollars a year, um, you're flat. You're taxed at like just under five. Uh, percent, four point nine five percent. Now, of course, if you make um, five hundred thousand dollars a year, you're going to pay more in income taxes because five percent of five hundred thousand dollars is significantly more than five percent of twenty thousand dollars. But Pritzker wants to wants to change the tax system from a flat tax to a progressive tax uh, here in Illinois. Voters need to decide on that, and it will be on the ballot um, in November. And if it passes, um, Pritzker says that higher earners will be taxed at a higher rate, almost 
0.8%, and that middle income and lower income uh, workers will be, it's actually flat. It's barely a decrease in taxes. But what he doesn't say, but what, what Treasurer Frerich let slip, is that almost anything can happen if voters approve this, including right. um, taking a pro progressive tax on retirement income, um, which it, it, we've talked about out migration in this state uh, uh, a, a number of different times. Every year, the state loses tens of thousands of people on net in population because people are leaving for greener pastures. If that were to happen, the floodgates would just open uh, mm -hmm. uh, on terms of out migration. People wouldn't have it and people would leave. But but Treasurer Frerichs let it slip that um, you know, a progressive tax likely would mean that uh, retirement income would start being taxed. So you have a group that just sort of came, you know, came together this past week, um, a, a consortium of, of four organizations that are kind of um, trying to push back against this idea. And these are people that are largely around uh, farming um, and small, and small, I, business small business and manufacturers yeah. and, right. and, and things like that. I mean, what so what 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 do they have to say and and what's you know what what was the significance of this? Well, they're 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 of course opposed to it because small businesses, as we've talked about too, um, when they file their most small business owners when they file their taxes they they file them as individuals so they would face these small businesses which have been forced to shut down during the pandemic, forced to lay off employees. Uh, you know, we're going to get to November and if voters uh, approve this tax, they're going to be taxed at a significantly higher rate. These are, mm -hmm. these are, these are folks that operate on the slimmest of margins. Um, some live pay, paycheck to paycheck, um, uh, have a tough time making payroll or whatever. Now you're going to take more money from them just as we're hopefully by then getting out of the pandemic. Um, uh, it just, it, it's, it, it's nonsensical. So, so th th they had a, they had a press conference this week. Um, they've started a series of ads. Of course, they can't compete with governor Pritzker who this week, we also learned gave $51 million, uh, for the push for the progressive tax. So the group's called vote yes for fairness. Um, of course, Pritzker uses the term quote unquote, a fair tax. It's a progressive tax. It's not a fair tax. Um, uh, and he just donated fifty million, fifty-one million dollars to this group. He's he's a billionaire, of course. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna try and buy this election. And he spent how much to 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 get elected to win the governor's mansion? Oh God, I have to go back and look at that. But more than hundreds, more than a hundred million dollars at least. Yeah. Wow. There's just so much money in 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 politics and running for office. I mean, in in, in Honest to goodness, it's just—I don't know. It's 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 out. Of, it's absolutely out of control. Yeah. And then the idea that you would need to spend fifty-one million dollars at a minimum to compel people to see the importance of this. And of course, that money is going to go towards ads, TV ads, um, Facebook ads, etc. Um, and none of it's going to say anything about hey, retirement income is could be or is likely to be taxed. Um, uh, hey, you know, if we decide a, a year from now after the progressive tax is in place that it's still not enough money, we can raise the rates on middle income earners um, 
just as well as we can raise it on uh, higher income earners. Because, of course, you know, the high, high income earners, they're a small percentage of the overall workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of, the, none of that money, none of the $50 million, $51 million that uh, Pritzker donated to his cause, uh, they're not going to be uh, forthright about uh, what the progressive tax could mean to all Illinois workers. Mm-hmm. And so, in the con- one of the consequences of this, and and it's sort of a you know it, there is a, a trickle down effect, is that some small business owners are just saying, hey, you know what, I think I'm out, I think I'm done, you know, I've run this business for you know whatever 10, 20, 30, 40 years or more, um, the business climate here makes it you know is already challenging, um. This and what's about to happen or what potentially could happen is just prompting some of them simply just to shut down. Yeah, there are dozens, probably hundreds of examples of uh, we we did a story this week at the center square uh, dot com taking a look at local uh, businesses. Um, that have decided to just completely shut down. They're not going to reopen regardless of what happens with the pandemic because they just can't afford to do business in Illinois. Um, uh, we, we sort of cherry picked, uh, I don't know, half a dozen examples of this across the state. It's not just, you know, it's not just happening in Chicago. It's it's happening in, in Peoria. It's happening in Rockford. It's happening downstate in Springfield and, and, and uh, Carbondale and other areas. Um, just they, they can't afford to do business anymore. And and they're they're closed for good. I've seen some estimates um, uh, that as many as fifty percent of restaurants will will not reopen or will not make it uh, through the pandemic. It, it just the pan one yes the pandemic has has hurt businesses no doubt about it. But Illinois's burdensome tax policies um, uh, has has hurt these businesses for years. And, and sort of the the pandemic is sort of the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. It will be interesting to see because, you know, I mean, if you live in, if you've lived anywhere other than Illinois and, and you know, you've, you've had the sort of the benefit of, of perspective of, you know, how, uh, you know, a given state is run business and commerce here in Illinois is not, it's not as easy as it is say in Texas or no income gosh, tax in Texas. Yeah. I mean, or, or even, or even in Indiana, I mean, which is one of the reasons why we've, you know, in Illinois, you know, this, this, this phenomenon hasn't just occurred. We're, you know, we're talking about businesses closing because these people don't want to pick up, you know, their lives and, and, and move. And if they do pick up their lives and move, they're not bringing their business with. I mean, I think that that's sort of the, this section of people that we're, we're talking about here, but ongoing, I mean, we've watched in Illinois states come in and recruit businesses to leave giving them, you know, not only, you know, the incentives that are on the books, but potentially, you know, low cost loans to get started or, you know, uh, access through their economic development corporations to build um, on, you know, land that's that's ready to build or to take over buildings that already exist in places like Indiana, Tennessee, Texas, Wisconsin, Florida, Florida. Wisconsin, you know, so it's, um, it's just not great. It's just absolutely, it's, it's, it's not great. Um, and, and, and it, you know, it's uh, the progressive tax. If that, if that makes its way through, you know, I just, I just wonder what entrepreneur or innovator or, you know, really any sort of, you know, it's like true startup company. And I'm not talking about like very well 
you know, funded tech companies that are going to be the beneficiaries of, of, you know, the kind of deals that Illinois gives away, um, you know, placing those people typically in Chicago. Uh, I'm talking about just, you know, people who want to start their own business. I don't know why you would want to do that here. I mean, if you really, you know, went through the numbers, you're already paying a, a, a high level of, of property tax. You know, so, you know, if you if you so if you plan on owning a home, you're going to pay a high, uh, you know, amount of your monthly rent to, you know, lo the local property tax on your facility. You're having to pay a minimum wage now that, you know, that is at $10 and is going to ratchet up in the next four and a half years to $15 an hour. It's just, I don't know what fantasy land, you know, idea that the state legislature and this, and this administration are living in, but it just seems very anti-business and anti-opportunity, independent of anything that the state might grant to you. Which is kind of like, I mean, honest to goodness, it's, it's just like, it's medieval on some level. It's one, one self-defeating uh, policy after another. And, and many businesses, many families have already made the decision um, to relocate. And it, it, I, you, you mentioned the minimum wage, another thing that's going to drive small businesses either out of the state or at least uh, to close down. You've got your billionaire investor Warren Buffett has said um, that he wouldn't invest uh, in a business in Illinois because of its uh, its burdensome tax policies and reg regulatory policies. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the state is just giving people more and more reason uh, to leave. We're going to have to see what happens this summer. We're going to have to see, you know, um, just how this how this messaging comes out on both sides of the line. You know the the quote unquote fair tax. I mean, doesn't that sound good as a as a voter? I mean, yeah. I mean, don't people want fairness? The reality of it is that the people at the very bottom of this, you know, pay like I believe it's the lowest bracket that's taxed, which is just over twenty thousand dollars. It's like twenty thousand eight hundred or twenty one thousand dollars or something like that. In the numbers that I've seen, those people are going to save six dollars a year. Six, not 60 or 660 or 6,006. Yeah, they're not, there's no real, there's no real savings in, in the progressive tax um, uh, plan that Pritzker has put forward for anybody. Small business owners will lose thousands, depending on how, how what their income is, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Which in which will impact jobs. I mean, businesses are going to have to cut costs um, if the progressive tax passes. Um, they're going to have to cut expenses, and that generally means jobs. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. You and I have both talked to business owners who, you know, over the last three or four months have figured out ways, you know, to run to keep their businesses running with fewer people on board. Uh, not because they wanted to because they had to, but they got a lot more intimate in the day-to-day -day operations of their business and scrutinized things that they wouldn't have otherwise scrutinized because, I mean, they're literally, I mean, at the, 
you know, to, at like, for example, like I've got a friend who owns a local restaurant. He hadn't worked that close in his business in probably 10 years because he worked externally. He focused on bringing in new business. He worked on the marketing side of it. He worked on his menu. He didn't really work in the operations side of his business. Well, once he started to do that, he recognized the fact that I've got a really nice core business here and I don't need to carry X number of people beyond whatever number I need to run it. So he's, you know, he's got decisions to make. He's yeah. just one business owner among thousands in the state who have had to do the same exercise to keep their business going. I think the biggest loss in all of this, and I've said this before, it's really easy to, to shut the economy off. Just like it's really easy to knock something down. A building might have taken six years to build. It could be taken down in a, a day or a week. I mean, we see skyscrapers in the city of Chicago fall. Older buildings that have like outlived their usefulness get taken down in a matter of days that took years to build. Right. And, and now you're seeing the new buildings coming in and they take, even with today's technology, they take 12, 16, 18 months to construct. This economy and turning this switch back on because of the way that we turned it off is going to be extremely frustrating for the state. It's going to be fascinating to watch, though. It's going to be fat. I'm fascinated by it. I mean, I'm not rooting against anybody trying to restart the economy. Why would I? I wasn't advocating it for it to be turned off completely. So I want to see how they how, how how the state actually rises from the ashes without driving further debt into, um, you know, the responsibility of future Illinoisans. As you mentioned, that one uh, local restaurant owner who um, um, who during the pandemic um, is hands on in the restaurant, um, he, he's found efficiencies that he uh, that he's created um, to deal with um, um, the drop in business because he couldn't open his restaurant to in uh, where diners could come in and eat in. Um, he's found these efficiencies. You've got to know that small business owners across the state are finding similar efficiencies. And when we do get beyond um, this pandemic, um, not all of those 1.4 million jobs are going to come back um, because small business owners ha have have learned that they can operate more efficiently, efficiently with fewer expenses. They've got minimum wage hikes coming. They've got potentially a progressive income tax coming. Uh, they're going to do what they can to keep costs down because they, they have to to survive um, in Illinois. So even when everything opens up and we get past the pandemic, uh, not all of those 1.4 million jobs will come back. No, I, I agree with you. And that and that's the that's the sad. That's I think this certainly the loss of life that's a, that's occurred. And in some cases, you know, and we'll talk more about this in the future, the unnecessary loss of life. I mean, history will give us a, a greater degree of clarity. I still believe that, that when we look back at, at COVID-19 as it pertains to Illinois, that we, we did a poor job of protecting the most vulnerable. And we lost a lot of seniors who we didn't need to lose. And that ultimately is going to be the legacy 
of COVID-19 as it pertains to the state of Illinois and a lot of states around the country. But it will be fascinating to watch how the attempts to restart the economy go and what uh, what steps are taken, um, you know, to try to restore some level of normalcy to uh, to an economy that frankly was doing, you know, that was it was performing better. I mean, it was better. I do not. I, I mean, Governor Pritzker has said at one point in time, you know, if it weren't for this darn COVID-19, we would have had a cash surplus this year in the budget. <laughs> uh, that is complete baloney. Yeah. I mean, that is just absolute baloney because it wasn't a balanced budget to begin with. I mean, we, you know, we had the Senate Square reported that months ago for him to say that. I mean, it's an, it's an, it's an it insults the intelligence of every Illinois. There's no way in the world there would have been a cash surplus. None. None. We would have had to sell marijuana to every man, woman and child in this state on a daily basis. To drive the new, to drive the, the revenue that, that he's talking about, and had all these people burning as much gasoline as they possibly could, taxing plastic bags, yada yada yada. And forgive me, I'm not suggesting that you should be giving children <laughs> marijuana. Please, please do not do that. I'm not advocating for that at all. But I'm just saying. I mean, when it comes right down to the sheer numbers of it, you know, there's a percentage of people in Illinois who work and 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 who pay taxes. It's a surprisingly low number when you look at the overall population that we have. Yeah. And, and if you take those people out, that that engine, you know, all the all the stuff that we need to provide people services and not just like roads and stuff. I mean, services for the elderly, services for the you know, for people who you know have you know, physical or mental disabilities. I mean, all, all of the things that, that a good society is supposed to be doing. Well, that all stops because you you turned the economy off. You shut it off. Just a, one point about uh, marijuana, uh, the cannabis industry in Illinois. If one industry has not uh, suffered too much from uh, from uh, the COVID shutdowns, uh, it's the cannabis industry. Oh my uh, goodness! I drove by a dispensary on my way to an appointment this past week. And I think that it was at nine o'clock in the morning that the doors opened. Maybe it was 10 o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was that the doors opened. There were 25 people standing in line. You were, you were driving by, huh? Is that what you want our listeners to believe? I was driving by. Uh huh. Okay. Slow enough that I could count the people. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's the truth. That's the truth, Dan. You, you weren't 26th in line? I was not 26th in line. I was not 26th in line. Nope. Okay. Don't support it. Don't. I, I just do not. I do not. But um, next time you're at the dispensary, you let me know how many people were lined up in front of you. All right. I'll be the first. You'll be the first. I'll tell. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, hey, I'll tell you, I think we're about out of time. Feels about right. Yeah. Um, Dan, I appreciate it. Always nice to talk with you. Same here. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah. You keep up the good work at the center square. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Crosstalk segment of Illinois in Focus commentary powered by the Center Square. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what we'll be working on next week. Next week, we'll continue to unpack how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting the state of Illinois and continue to keep an eye on schools reopening 
later this fall. This has been Illinois Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.